This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 6 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life, exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Esberg, Denmark, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, Heather. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine now that the sun's setting a little bit. It's quite hot here today in Denmark. That's not so usual for us. How are you doing? Well, we had a bit of a respite here, which we're thrilled to have. You know, this time of year, it's usually so hot and humid, and we had some cooler temperatures, which made it a lot more comfortable for outdoor activities. Perfect riding weather, actually, although I didn't huh. get a chance to ride. So, uh, but, but it's going to turn around a bit now. This weekend, of course, July 4th weekend over here, it's a big weekend of, of fireworks and partying, and uh, hopefully it'll be very pleasant tomorrow evening as we celebrate huh. the 4th here. So... Um, yeah, big weekend, big weekend here, and we've got a big show today, Heather. Yeah, we're going to hear from Reese Koffler again, um, who comes on to our show on a regular basis, and she's been to Gladstone competition there at the the Grand Prix Championships. She's going to give us a a report on how it's gone for her there, and, and um, then we're going to hear from Mary Wanless uh, as she explains her popular teaching philosophy and what she's been up to these days, so we're looking forward to that. And so what have you been up to this week? Well, I've been a little busy this week. I've actually been out of town and drove down. It's about an eight-hour drive down to Aachen from here and got to watch the the first phase of the CDIO down there, the dressage competition. So that was quite a treat to catch an eyeful for two full days plus the, the other two or the CDI five-star. So that's been quite fun. What have you been up to? Well, um, just work, basically. And following Aachen, of course, thanks to the internet, following Aachen, following in Wimbledon, because I'm also a tennis fan, Heather, So, uh, and I know Mary is. So, uh, um, yeah, it's, we've been preoccupied with the, uh, the tennis, uh, and thanks to Twitter. This is a marvelous <laughs> tool, this Twitter, Heather. I just get all kinds of alerts. and uh, So, yeah, it's been basically a combination of, of, of work and, and following the sport and following Aachen and uh, uh, all the reports that we're getting again through Twitter. So that, that's, been, that's been fun that this new technology keeps us right up to date with what's happening around the world in the sports arena. So that's yeah, nobody can hide fun. for a second, can they? <laughs> really, you really can't, can you? No, really. Um, no, but, that's, but that's fun. You know, for those of us that are you know, fans of any particular sport or activity, you, you, you know, it's so much more immediate now. It's all about instant gratification, isn't it? It is. Well, and it, it's just, uh, it is fascinating. And, uh, you know, we have all these things now. I wonder what's going to be available next week. <laughs> well, that's right. You never really know, do you? And uh, No. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to get uh, obsessed with this technology and, uh, you know, and try to stay on the cutting edge of it. But you never know what's around the corner. And, uh, you know, when you think about the Walkmans, do you remember those big old Walkmans that came out about 20 years ago? The Sony Walkman? Oh, my gosh, yes. And, we and thought, I think you know, before the iPod. Yeah. Yeah, we, before we the iPod, so I think. Mobile. 
It was, and it was a, it was one of the biggest selling gadgets um, <laughs> up until the time of the iPod, and it and it, it holds second place still, I believe that that Walkman, yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing how big they were. I was watching pictures of the other day on TV of, you know, this big pack that you would clip onto your waistband, and uh, it was it was huge. But because we were portable, we you know we thought this was the best thing since sliced bread. But now, of course, if you can't put it in your pocket, it's too big, right? That's right. Well, I wish I still had my original bag cell phone. You know, that could be uh, something that could could be such a, a an old fashioned novelty. Maybe it'd sell for a lot of money now. That wasn't even that long ago. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a lot to get through on the show today, Heather. So we're going to kick off now with the news of the week. And the big news, of course, out of Germany this week is the suspension of Isabel Werth uh, from competition following an FEI tri- tribunal that uh, found a positive doping test on a horse of hers called Whisper that was competing in the small tour. And uh, and that, of course, is big news out of Europe for the sport and, and very difficult to hear one of the biggest names in the sport uh, be the subject of a positive dope test. But it's happened in other sports a lot more recently. We heard of Michael Whitaker, the British show jumper, who uh, was also suspended last week um, and was not, not able to uh, compete at Arken. So two big names out of uh, Arken this week, Heather. It, you know, I think it doesn't matter which sport it's in, whether it's an equestrian sport or cycling or, or no matter what sport, it, it, it gets on the world stage and uh, it, it's, it's very upsetting for everyone involved, isn't it? It is really upsetting, and you know it, it's hard to keep it all straight. Um, you know the why and the how and the who, and um, of course there there are so many different reasons to need to help our horses out. And um, it, we want to do our best to keep them healthy and to keep them happy. And um, a lot of times it can just be a fine line between right and wrong. And um, not everybody gets all the details, and it, uh, it's. It's a tough thing when you want to do the best thing for your horse and, you know, uh, something slips through the cracks, something doesn't go um, like you thought it would. And it's just, a, it's not a good thing for the for the sport and how it's going. And it gets sort of into the public hands in ways that aren't necessarily what what it really is the truth behind it. And um, I just hope that, that we can come to terms with... Um, with these problems out in the equestrian world, and you know, I think maybe what's happening in the cycling is a is a different matter with more of the steroids to enhance performance. But you know, with the horses, so many times it's to keep them happy and going with such strenuous conditions. Um, there's just so many different reasons. So we'll we'll see what happens after this. And um, it's it's a it's a trying time for the for the sport: jumping, endurance, uh, dressage. It's a trying time for sure. It certainly is, Heather, and you know, and I think without prejudging the outcome of any of these cases, you know, we always look to get better, better systems in place. And I know the FEI is very keen on on doing this. They they are in the midst of a clean sport campaign, and uh, there are videos on the FEI website uh, where where we can hear from the uh, Secretary General Alex McLean and uh, the, the Princess Higher, of course, president of the FEI talking about the measures that the sport is taking 
uh, to to develop a clean sport, basically. And uh, I think there's so many things that one learns from this process, Heather, in terms of, you know, what is the best thing for the horse? Ultimately, we want the welfare of the horse. Uh, it's got to be paramount. We want that to, to be considered first and foremost and the fairness of competition. So um, hopefully out of all these debates and uh, all this very deliberate, you know, investigation um, at all levels in all countries that ultimately will have the best thing for the sport and for the horse at the end of it. And uh, I think you're, you're, you had mentioned uh, the reference, which I think would, would be very helpful, is a, a, a destination where everyone is involved, you know, the riders, the owners, the the trainers and the uh, and the uh, vets particularly can reference what those uh, those parameters are. So maybe that will come out of it too. But uh, anyway, yeah, sad, that, does, that, that that doesn't exist now. You know, there isn't really a source to find out enough information. And um, even for the veterinarians, they're still also a little in the dark when it comes to uh, um, a lot of these things. And I hope that they can go in that direction. You know, coming up with some kind of a source of information for everybody to access. Um, in this department, I think that's a really smart um, smart way to go and think about it, and we'll see about that. Very definitely. All right. Well, good, good luck to everybody concerned, and we, we hope to hear a, of a happy outcome for everyone. Um, but we have a bit of sad news uh, from Italy, um, a major figure in the uh, Italian, on the Italian dressage scene, Luigi Masotto. He actually passed away very very tragically in an accident uh, last week, and he he was a, a, a major influence in uh, Italy. He worked as an international equitation judge as well as a dressage judge, and uh, his contribution to the to the sport there will be will be greatly missed as a rider, trainer, and sponsor of riders and events. And uh, he organised many dressage competitions down there in Italy. So um, you know, our condolences to them, and I'm sure great loss to the Italian dressage community. And that really, Heather, is about the news for this week. We're going to kick on now to uh, Paragon's Darin. I know you took some time off to go down to Aachen. So did Paragon have a chance to have a short break himself? He did. Yes, he's coming off of last week. I did, you know, a, a bit of downtime and some some hacking out and outside time. And then I did leave uh, if I was gone three days this week. So he also had another light week. Next week, we plan on putting uh, the screws to him a little bit again, <laughs> getting a bit of hard work out of him for for another week uh, again next week. So I think we're both sort of looking for forward to that and working a bit harder next week again. And um, then maybe we'll have some more stories about how um, how it's going in the straining. Do you have a competition in, in on his schedule in the near future, Heather? I really don't. Not in the near future. You know, he's, he's six this year, and I'm really looking forward to taking him out in the pre-St. George. And I'm thinking I'll be able to do that at the beginning of next year. He's he's ready with all the, the technical things, but you know, I want to build his strength and his confidence and the connection, um, but mostly to build his strength, and I want to take um, some time for that. So I, I don't need to put um, some short-term goals in his way, and I don't need them. He doesn't need them. He's totally confident in new environments, and I have had him in the show ring, and it doesn't phase him much at all. So I think that we can just wait for our debut in the small tour, and, and most likely it'll be next year. Terrific. Well, we'll all look forward to that. Thank you, Heather. Uh, so we're going to take a short break now, and, be, and, and when we come back, we're going to be hearing from Reese Koffler. 
Well, Chris and Heather, it is fantastic to have our friends at Equestrian Life as the title sponsor for the Dressage Radio Show. If you've not been to Equestrian Life yet, you do need to go. In addition to being the official social community of the Horse Radio Network, it is one of the fastest-growing horse communities on the Internet. It's truly the Facebook for horse people. Keep track of your friends and their horses, the shows they were at, and how they did with Equestrian Life's easy-to-use interface. Expert high-definition videos and live event coverage are the core of the site. Learning from the best in the industry and remote participation in exciting competitions via our in-depth interviews and streaming videos will continue to be an important area of emphasis for Equestrian Life. This community is designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. Ride on over to Equestrian Life today. Sign up for free and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, Equestrian Life is the place to be at equestrianlife.com. Well, we're back now with our first guest of the show, Reese Koffler. She's joined us before. She's our young rider to follow, our featured rider, and a very popular one she is too, based here in Lexington, Kentucky. She uh, just went up to Gladstone, Heather, if you remember, a, a couple of weeks ago, and she made her debut at the USEF Festival at Champions. So well, we got a chance to catch up with Reese and, uh, and hear how all that went. Well, hi, Reese. Thanks for joining us again. I know you came off a very exciting debut at Gladstone with some fantastic results despite the weather. We had a wonderful trip. It was a great, a great time. I'll never forget it for sure. So tell us how it all went. You know, Casper was going up there for his first time and it wasn't the ideal conditions. Talk us through that week up in New Jersey. Sure, absolutely. Well, we left Kentucky actually on Saturday before um Gladstone started on Wednesday, and we spent the weekend with Jessica Ranshausen doing some training, and it was a nice kind of stopover point for us to let Casper make the big trip. It was about 11 hours to Jessica's, and just kind of relax for the weekend and start a little training on Monday and Tuesday. And on Tuesday afternoon, we headed to Gladstone. It was uh, about a three-hour trip from Jessica's, and uh, you know we uh, pulled up to Gladstone and. That's just an amazing feeling. It's it's just such a historic place, and so many wonderful riders have trained there, and you feel very humbled pulling up to the gates there. And So we pulled up, and it was uh, pretty quiet. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, so it was a nice time to get him nice and settled. And um, it was really fun for, for me because they put all the Grand Prix horses in the main barn. So I really felt like I had arrived, in, in a sense, um, you know, the Grand Prix, uh, the, um, the young rider horses and junior horses uh, were in a tent on top of the hill. And uh, my mom and I, we, we laughed a lot because we've spent lots of time in the tent on top of the hill. But it was uh, nice to be in the main barn. And uh, we just settled, settled them in for the evening and, and got settled in our hotel. And on Wednesday was the veterinary inspection. And my trainer, Kathy Conley, uh, came down as well. So I had a, a great lesson before the veterinary inspection, and everything went fine. So we uh, got, got a plan for the next day, um, which uh, changed, and, 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 and that would continue to change throughout the weekend. Our plans, we, we had to all be very flexible. And uh, so we had a plan for Thursday morning, and uh, Gladstone, the organizers, were wonderful through the whole event. And we actually... Um, through a time it was like 10.30 or 11, which is, in my opinion, like the best time you can go to a horse show. You don't have to get up so early, 
but um, you can get get things rolling before the afternoon. So um, we we really got everybody dressed, um, and as we as the Grand Prix horses, we started to all get a little busier with braiding. It started raining and raining harder and harder and harder. Um, and I, I was okay with the rain, you know, it's a nice thing. And, and Chris, I know you know what I'm talking about, but in Kentucky, <laughs> it rains a lot. <laughs> so we're so green. Um, and I don't have an indoor arena. So, you know, for me, I, I wasn't so worried about the rain. And we had come off uh, the, the CDI at Lamplight, where it also poured during the Grand Prix. And, and they did not call off the show. We, we, we rode in the pouring rain, and it was cold pouring rain. I thought, well, at least Gladstone was a little warmer. It's about 20 degrees warmer than Lamplight was. So that was, I guess, helpful. Um, and as we started to ride, actually, my tack roommate, Pierre Saint-Jacques, uh, actually was on his horse in the warm-up, and they pulled us all aside, and, and they, the grand jury canceled the show for the day. They, they said, you know, the, the footing is dangerous, and, and, uh, and it's really wet, and it was very, very wet. So we didn't ride on on. on that Thursday they canceled it, um, which became more of a mental thing than a, than a physical thing. You know, it, in, a, in, in Casper's mind, he got a nice training session all braided up and uh, ready to go. I changed out of my show clothes and into my into my regular barn clothes and had a great training session with Kathy. So that turned out to be a, a wonderful thing for uh, Friday for the Grand Prix. So we ended up doing a Grand Prix on Friday. And uh, the hardest part, and, and I think everybody feels this, is, when you're getting ready for a competition, it's it, you have your mental preparation, and the hardest thing was doing that again. Um, I was very ready to tor- to show on Thursday, and I was I have to say a little nervous. Um, you know, going into Gladstone and into that big ring is you know been a dream of mine for a long time. So to go in was was quite a quite an experience, but to almost go in and not go in was very difficult. That must so, have been really hard. How do you deal with your nerves in that kind of situation, Reese? When you know you, you're going and then you're not going, and you really have to, you know, switch up mentally. We did, and, and, and honestly, Chris, that was the hardest thing about the whole show. Was uh, you know we were going, we weren't going, we were they changed our times. That was the hardest part, and, and I have to be honest, I, I personally, um, you know, being one of the younger riders, that hasn't really happened to me very much. Um, so I really leaned on my coach, Kathy Conley, for, for kind of advice, and she was great. I mean, she, she just said, you know, it's okay, we'll just prepare, and, and, and on that Thursday when we did a lesson, we basically did our whole warm-up like we were going to ride the test the next day. And that was very helpful, because I felt like, okay, you know, that on Friday, I felt like I had had a real dress rehearsal. Literally, we were all braided and, and looked beautiful. So, so that was helpful. Um, but that was, for me, the hardest part of this tour show along with the stress of just being there and being at Gladstone, this was an added stress for me. And I think I think all the riders felt that. So we were all in the same boat. And at the end of the weekend, you just kind of had to learn to go with the punches, really. So, um, But when we were ready to do the Grand Prix, I think we were all relieved when we actually could compete. Um, it, was, it was a great feeling, like, okay, finally, we're here to compete and we really want to. And, and the ground jury did a great job. They, they made, you know, some good decisions and hard decisions and uh, you know all our horses came home happy and healthy so you know and that's definitely the right decision but different so. disappointing in some ways though Reese not to to you know be able to ride the rest of the competition um well it is it is you know as as, a, as we all felt as riders and competitors we certainly all traveled a long way to compete 
Um, and, 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 you know, that is always disappointing. But, you know, on the other hand, the ground jury, that's what their job is. And, and they made a really tough call. Um, we didn't end up riding the Grand Prix special um, on Sunday because uh, they felt like the footing was dangerous and, and you know, was going to potentially hurt the horses. So, um, you know, you have to respect them for that, too. That was a hard sure. call. I know that we all wanted to ride. Sure. Um, so, what, but, so what was your biggest takeaway then from this experience, Reese? Well, it was, um, you know, this is, this is my first time at Gladstone, and, and, and uh, it's such a huge event to just be there. So I have to be honest, I was so excited to be there, and, and in the Grand Prix, I had a, a very good Grand Prix. I was very happy with it. I, I had a 66 um, in change, and which was about a point higher than my average, so I was very excited that I had up my Grand Prix score. And uh, I still felt like there were things I can make better. I can make the flow of the test go better and, and things that, that we'll work on this summer, uh, which was fun, gave me a little homework. And then um, when I rode my freestyle, I ended up, uh, I placed fifth in the Grand Prix. And then um, we rode the freestyle. And actually, I I was so focused that I, for, I didn't even know it was raining when I went up there. It was pouring when we were getting ready. And in my mind, it stopped when I went up there. I think that was just how focused I was. And and um, but doing the freestyle in the rain and different footing was a little bit different. You, I hadn't practiced my core in you know in that kind of rain, so that made it a little bit of a challenge. Um, but Kessler was wonderful, and I knew he'd be fine in the rain. He he didn't he he ran like a champ. And, well, that's yeah. t- that's terrific. So a great experience all round. And now, what does this tell you for the rest of the season? What what do you, what do you have plans now uh, to do for the rest of the summer, Reese? Well, that's that's where we're, we're kind of in the plan making stage. I I brought him home, um, and you know we're having lovely summer weather now in Kentucky. And I brought him home, and and he had spent last week just relaxing and walking. And I was going to give him uh, this week as another break, but he is uh, feeling fine. He's, uh, you know, it's kind of wild today on his on his hack. So he he, I think he's ready to go back to work. So I'll put him back into work. Um, and I am looking at going to Saturdays in September in New York. So that'll give us uh, a CDI before we head to Florida in December. Right. So you're planning to spend the winter down in Florida again? Yes, yes, I am. It, it, it makes it just a, it, it's a great experience and to be there with all the competitors and all the judges and trainers. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, and, and uh, I can't say that I'll miss the winter in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> so aside, aside from Casper, uh, what else will you be doing this summer, Reese? Do you have a lot of teaching? I have a lot of teaching. I have a lot. I, you know, I teach um, both dressage and eventers, so they keep me very busy. Um, going to different shows and different events, and um, certainly the horse park is going to be very busy. Young Riders is coming up, and I, I look forward to actually just going to to be a spectator. Um, my one, unfortunately, my one junior horse uh, is a mentor. He got hurt, so I don't have anyone to coach at Young Riders. I just get to go and watch, and I'm looking forward to that. And um, just coaching, and then uh, really working on my farm. We're 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 seeming to. The, uh, almost to the signing the contracts and going to the bank stage of the farm. So that'll keep us really busy this summer. That's really exciting. Well, you mentioned Young Riders, and, and uh, this is something we will want to cover on, on the, the Dressage Radio Show, Reese. So maybe we could put you to work there and do a little report for us. 
I would love it. Anytime. My uh, pleasure. All right. You, you, you have a job. I'm afraid it's an unpaid job, but uh, it'd be <laughs> very... <laughs> very no problem. My pleasure. Well, you know, it would, it would be great to have that because I know our listeners really enjoy uh, listening from you, listening uh, to you, Reese, and we're going to have you coming back on the show again and again through the summer. So keep keep your mental diary and we'll continue this story and, and we'll certainly put you to work at North American Junior and Young Rider Championships, which are taking place here in Kentucky, as you mentioned, uh, later in July. So uh, thanks again for joining us, Reese, and uh, keep those stories coming. Well, we certainly wish Reese uh, very good luck with her upcoming season, and we look forward to hearing from her after she's got a few more competitions under her belt. And now we're going to take a break and hear from uh, one of our sponsors. Now, not every horse needs a supplement, and selecting the right supplement for your horse can be a science. Kentucky Performance Products simplifies your search. You can trust Kentucky Performance Products to give you the most value for your money. KPP offers supplements designed to target specific problems and are made with high-quality ingredients at effective levels. Each product is backed by sound research and a money-back satisfaction guarantee. This week, we'd love to talk to you about Joint Armor. Joint Armor is a well-balanced, scientifically-based formula that provides your horse with the building blocks necessary to maintain healthy joints throughout his lifetime. Each scoop provides glucosamine, chondroitin, hyaluronic acid, and manganese sulfate, which uh, is a very important component of cartilage. Joint Armor helps maintain the flexibility and fluid motion found in normal joints. It supports cartilage development and reduces joint deterioration. Best of all, it is concentrated and affordable. One jar will last you 75 days. Learn more about Joint Armor and all the products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. So um, next we are going to have a chat with Mary Wanless. She is an international clinician and trainer. Um, she's written many books on her f- uh, Ride With Your Mind philosophy. She has video series out. She teaches um, all over the world, and she's going to tell us a bit about her and um, what's been going on in, in her life. Well, Mary, thank you for joining us on the show today. I know you and uh, Heather uh, go back a long way with your uh, sharing your training philosophy, um, but we'd love to hear about it today. But I think to set the scene, we should share with our listeners exactly where you are, and I know you're in a very pretty part of England. Uh, tell us a little bit about your environment there and what your situation is in England. Well, I live in a village called Church Westcott in the Cotswolds, which are about 80 miles northwest of London and near the city of Oxford. And um, it is a beautiful part of England with rolling hills and wonderful views and great bridle paths to ride your horses on if you want to ride out. And um, it's a lovely place to live when the sun shines. And, and how long have you been doing what you're doing, Mary? Because you teach around the world, don't you? Yes, I do. Gosh, I mean, um, I've really been doing what I've been doing pretty much for 30 years. I was a professional in the horse world before then, um, but in my late 20s, I gave up in despair and frustration, um, gave up riding, that is, in despair and frustration, feeling I wasn't talented and would never really figure it out, and um, didn't ride for about six months, and then got back into it and made some discoveries that actually set the scene for what is now nearly two years worth of work. 
So how did you uh, you two meet, Heather? Well, that was a um, really fortunate thing for me that one of my students had been to a, I think it was a USDF conference where one of Mary's um, longtime students also came to give a talk, a lecture at the USDF annual convention, came back to where um, I was living in Baton Rouge at the time, came back to Baton Rouge, said, we've got to send you out to um, hear more from this woman, Mary Wanless, and come back and tell us all about what you found out. And so my students sent me out to a teacher training course in California, uh, met Mary there, was completely sold after the first day, and it's just been um, progress with her ever since. So I'm really happy about that, that, um, that it worked out that way. And um, so, and it's just been evolving into more and more uh, learning from Mary, and I think there's never going to be any end to it at all. So um, that's how it started, maybe 15 years ago, wasn't it, Mary? I think it was 1994, so yeah, that would be 15 years ago, yes. Yeah. And, and so how would you characterise your philosophy, Mary? Um, I set out to try and discover what it was that talented riders were doing that they didn't know they were doing. So as a young rider, I always felt that there must be things my teachers weren't telling me. And... I kept trying to read books and work out what that might be and nothing I read or heard really did it for me. Um, So really I started to ask the question of when somebody's coaching or training and they say a certain statement, what is presupposed? So in other words, if if a trainer says to a rider, get the horse on the bit, what is presupposed is the rider has the skills to do that. and I started trying to bake riding down into the kind of chunk sizes that riders could do, because for many riders at sort of club level, that is not a doable size piece. Um, so really, I tried to start to figure out the how of riding rather than the what of riding, because everybody knows what the horse should look like, but not so many people really know how to do it. So then what were some of the, the first things, if you remember back to those... Um first days when you were looking into it, what are the, some of the first major discoveries that were um, what you figured out they were doing they didn't know they were doing? So really the first thing was about how the rider uses her abdominal muscles. So nowadays that would be talked about as core strength. And I just hit on this when I was riding a horse for a client a couple of times a week that jogged a lot. And most of the time I would pull on the reins, it would pull on the reins and it would just keep jogging. But every now and again I could stop it jogging, you know, just in an instant. And I didn't know what I'd done. And it took me quite a while having the occasional to work out what I was doing. And I realized it was to do with my abdominal muscles, which was quite a shock at the time because I'd been told to use my back, but never been told to use my front. Not that use your back made much sense to me as an idea, but... Anyway, having discovered about abdominal muscles and what I then turned bearing down, um, it grew from there. Ah, and that could be something that, that someone with natural talent or who's ridden for enough years, you know, past the point of their beginning education would become so naturally doing that they would be very unaware of it. Absolutely. So good riders can be doing that with their body and many other things with their body that they totally don't know they're doing and that for them are basically a given. They might be saying, well, I'm just sitting here, but they're just sitting here involves factors that average riders don't have in their version of just trying to sit there. Wow. So how many, how many books have you re- uh, written now, Mary? It's um, five or 
Um, it's six. I've written six books. Um, as I, by Christmas 1980, I realised that I knew enough to write a book. I knew things that were really significant for the horse world and that really deserved to be out there and deserved to be known. Um, and it actually took me seven years to write that first book and get it published. That was 1987. And there's been another five since then. Um, one is more about factors around saddle fit and um, complementary medicine with dentistry and various things like that. But the rest of them are on the biomechanics of riding. So who would be your main audience then, Mary? Do you, is, are you trying to get to the younger people as they come into the sport, as they reach adulthood and are more sort of self-aware of their body? Or are you trying to translate this language to riders who you know, have been doing their own thing, developed their own habits, and just, uh, as you say, you've, you've identified that they have talent? What, what, where do you find that your main clientele is now? Um, it's very varied now. To begin with, it was definitely people who really knew they had problems, really knew they were struggling, and really knew that what their trainers were telling them on a, on a regular basis wasn't working for them. And there would still be some of my clientele who come into that category. Um, there are more and more talented riders, um, some good up-and-coming young riders, many riders at club level as well as more elite level. So it's really across the board, but it's riders who question more than anything else. Yeah, interesting. Um, and and when you saw Heather, uh, when you first saw Heather, it's 15 years ago, what did you see in her that worked so well in your partnership with her? Um Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, to begin with, I saw a rider who was actually doing a lot wrong in terms of what she was doing with her body, but obviously had a body that could do it really right. And um, within a short time of us working together, when she'd begun to realize that the things I was saying worked, I think she became a rider with huge dedication in terms of how she worked on her body and her skills and started discovering things. Um, so I think she's worked with tremendous dedication and really developed for herself her understanding of the importance of what the rider does with her body. But she had a terrific body to do it in to begin with, even though she wasn't actually using it that well. Yeah, I know. When I grow up, I want a body like Heather Blitz and a rider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just admit the fact that I'm a five foot three midget and I sit about a only about the same as Heather <laughs> well, well, I'm five foot nine, but you know, I don't. It's going to be a long time before I ever get into Heather's position. So, <laughs> well, it is doable. It's very, very doable. It's not. It's not just something that I subconsciously do. I keep it pretty conscious level. Um, in, in you know, Mary, I, I saw you at a number of teacher training courses before I actually got to ride with you. And then when I did ride with you, my first lesson and maybe lesson and a half, I was just really still shocked by what it felt like to make uh, really core changes in my body. And um, and now, of course, I, I work with riders also much with your system. And um, I have a question for you. Do you find that it's harder to have to make the lower-level riders change, or, or do you find it more challenging for the upper-level riders that you get to work with to, to get uh, them to agree to changes? Gosh, you know, I think it depends on the person. 
um, within upper level riders, there are certainly some people who are always aware that there's somebody younger and more talented and with more money coming up behind them and they need all the help they can get. And there are some upper level riders hanging on with their fingernails to the skills that they have, desperately worried about changing them. So within that client group, you have a huge range. Um, as you do too at every other level. I mean, uh, it's a hard question to answer. I think it probably really depends on the person more than the level. Yeah. And, and I think, Mary, I think with any sport, it, it obviously the earlier you can catch people in their developing their skills and riding habits, the better. Um, so when you're when you're looking at young people, you're watching at pony clubbers and and young riders around the world, what, and they all have different training regimes. What, what would your message be to impart this philosophy of yours? But what would your message be to the trainers to try and convey that, that, that philosophy as early as possible? Gosh, I mean, my sense is that we really want to get hold of kids before they're 12. And I think at about the age of 12, the rot sets in when someone in Pony Club probably says, right now, girls, now let's get the ponies on the bit. And that's the beginning of the end. And I would really try and steer trainers and teachers and coaches away from really getting kids neurotic about where their horse's head is and really teaching them the baselines of how to organize their body. If we can teach a kid to sit well enough that the pony's natural response is to come up through its back and reach into the rein, then the kid never gets paranoid about getting the horse's head down, never starts fiddling and pulling, and never has to unlearn that later in life. And I think unlearning that is the hardest thing on earth for a more mature rider. So, um, you know, Mary, I could agree with you too in that there's so much obsession on what's happening with the head and it's in front of our vision field and it's in our hands and it's what, uh, it's how sort of we're geared to fix things. And um, where do you think is the, some of the most common things that does to riders' bodies? Um, what are some of the more common mistakes that you have to fix? Well, it gets riders thinking about the head, thinking about the hand, the arm, the shoulder girdle, worried about the contact and riding sometimes as if they barely existed from the shoulder girdle down. Whereas I really want to try and keep a rider's attention on her pelvis, on her contact with the horse's back, on what's happening in the horse's back underneath her, how she stabilizes herself on the horse's movement. And if we can teach a rider to be really thinking about how to shape the horse's back and get the back up under her, rather than that how to get a horse's head down. We've changed everything for that rider. And there can be a lot of funny language out there as far as what you hear, you know, how to get the horse's back up, it can't there. Yes, I suppose it is, because everybody is so obsessed by where the horse's head is um, and the shape of the horse's back and whether the back is hollow or whether the back is a firmer, higher surface underneath you really determines how the horse, how his whole body works, that, that phrase over the back that people use that really talks about whether the push of the horse's hind leg is translated in that chain of muscles over its croup under the panels of the saddle and up the crest to each of its ears. So you're trying to show riders how to make that happen, how to feel if it is happening, 
how to know what to do if it isn't happening and how to change the horse's body underneath them by how they use their own body. So when you're traveling around the world teaching clinics, Mary, what do you see as the difference in terms of the cultures and the stages that people are at with their riding where you you, you are able to in, interrupt that the, the habits that they've, uh, they've formed over the years? Where do you see the differences there between, say, uh, Europe and, and uh, the States? Um, in America, I think there are more people whose confidence outweighs their competence. In the UK, there are more people who could justifiably have more confidence for their level of competence. And I don't see that many people who have their confidence and their competence in sync, even if that confidence boils down to I know if I really work on this, I can learn it, rather than I know I'm brilliant. Um, so that would be one thing. In America, I really notice that in the West Coast, there are more round-backed, more laid-back riders who are kind of just hanging out, man. And on the East Coast, especially I think in the New England, more northern areas on the East Coast, there are many more uptight riders who tend to be more hollow-backed. So I think there is a real East Coast-West Coast difference in America. Um, another great thing, Mary, that um, you've helped me with in my career is you're working with instructors to learn how to teach and um, giving them teaching methods and the use of language and the importance of how you get uh, feedback from your students. And um, tell us a little bit about that and your teacher training. Um, yes, yeah, so I do a lot of coach education and that is really dear to my heart and how people talk about riding and riding skills I think is really important the conventional language we use things like sit deep use your back, guide the horse forward, tend to make people respond in various ways that I think really aren't helpful and if we can look much more precisely at the patterns operating in the rider's body and use much more precise language to describe what works, then we can save an awful lot of people from interpreting those phrases in ways that they really weren't meant to be interpreted. So I think our language in the horse world is very, very woolly, and I really like to train teachers on how to look so they have a really good diagnostic eye when they see a rider and a horse in front of them, and how to use words in ways that really help the rider to change what she's doing and how the horse responds. Well, it's, it's made just such a gigantic difference in my career, and um, I'm just so thankful to have, to have met you when I did. And um, I'm just um, really glad for you to be on our show today and um, to give us a bit of what you're doing and what you do. And um, what, are you, what are your plans for the near future? Do you have anything um, other than our symposium that we'll be doing together here in Esbjerg on October, or sorry, August 2nd? Um, yes, that's right. So we've got the symposium in Airspare on the 2nd of August. We've got a symposium in Leighton Buzzard um, in the UK on the 24th of October. Um, I've got various courses happening at my place in the Cotswolds during the summer and teacher training at the end of that season in late September. And I'll be coaching again in the US through the winter. So things keep trucking. Things keep trucking. More haunt, more more coaching, more symposiums, and I really keep looking for ways to get my information out into the horse world. I really think it's beneficial to so many people, 
at all levels. Um, and I will I keep working tirelessly to do that. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining us, Mary, and um, I hope to see you soon, and um, you take care then. Thank you. Okay, well, that was terrific fun listening to Mary, Heather. I mean, there's just so much wisdom there and so much theory behind the practical. And I'm sure you learned that as you were getting to know Heather, uh, getting to know Mary, Heather, and and working with her, that uh, all her practical is based on sound foundation and and theory, too. It is. There's just an unlimited supply of information in that woman, and um, it's it's really quite incredible. And and she's just always looking into more and more research. Too every time I talk with her, she's got more, and um, it's just never it's never ending in a very very fantastic way. Oh, that's that's terrific. Well, I'm sure we'll have Mary on in the future, and and uh, you're embarking, as you mentioned, on the symposium tour again with her. You've done several in the past, and some more lined up. And that uh, next one, we want to remind everyone, will be in Ashburg, Denmark, where you are right now, uh, and that's in the end in August, didn't you say, Heather? Yeah, it's on a Sunday, August second, and um, we're taking. Um, um, uh, you can buy tickets online and you can contact me um, for more information. And it's on, uh, yeah, it's on a Sunday, August 2nd here in Esperg, Denmark. So we've had two or three um, of the, two of those in the States, about three of them in the, in the UK. And they're just highly su- uh, successful with the two of us. And in the States, we also have uh, Hillary Clayton on board also. So they're, um, they're really nice symposiums, very effective, a lot, a lot of information there. Terrific. Well, thank you, Heather. We wish you well with that. We know we can find that information on your website, heatherblitz.info. And now we're going to come to your training tip of the week, Heather. Okay. Well, this week, I think I was just going to describe a little bit about how um, I ride half passes and how I teach half passes to my students. And um, I have a lot of success with with riding them myself and also with describing them to my students to present them as simply as haunches in. And um, I think what can get confusing to people uh, in half passes is they really get the sideways aspect in their mind a lot and they end up riding quite sideways, um, which can cause problems with perhaps the haunches leading or maybe not being able to bend enough to the inside. Um, I think if a, if a half pass tends to look sideways, it maybe depends on at what angle you are um, watching it. Um, if the horse is going on a diagonal sort of away from you and you are in the corner of the arena, it might really appear to be quite sideways. If you are looking at the half pass from the point where the half pass will end, so the horse is coming straight towards you, it looks it is less apparent that it's sideways, more apparent that it's a haunches in. Um, if you make a haunches in going down the long side and you make three tracks, the bend, bend let's say, uh, haunches in left, so the horse is bent left, haunches are to the left and the shoulders are on the track, and you take that long side and you just position it across the diagonal, um, and you ride that same three-track left bend, left haunches on that diagonal, uh, is the same thing as making a left half pass. And as the levels go up in difficulty, of course, that diagonal line can get more steep. So in the Grand Prix, it goes all the way from um, the corner to, let's say, from uh, M to B. So a very short diagonal, and that gets more difficult to make an even more steep uh, diagonal. But it still technically could be ridden as a haunches in on a line, whether it's on the long side or a, a shallow 
diagonal or a steep diagonal. So it tends to make it a little more clear that it's not a whole other world of, oh my gosh, now I've really got to go sideways. Most riders I find can make haunches in quite well, and they go into half pass and they, they get a little bit of freak out thinking, oh, now I have to add sideways. Um, so it kind of depends on your perspective where you're watching the half pass. But if you ride it like a haunches in on diagonal, I think um, you'll have better luck. Uh, that's great, thank you, Heather. Uh, oh, well, the okay. only thing—the only thing I'm short of is uh, is a horse. Otherwise, I'd be trying that out. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, and uh, we, we want to just mention that next week on the show we're going to be catching up uh, with Klatcha uh, Van Andel of Dressage Direct, and who's going to be joining you um, to review Aachen, um, because that that will, of course, have been the highlight of this week, and. Uh, I know you spent some time up there and caught the Grand Prix, and uh, Clatcher is still there for the rest of the show. So we look forward to your combined review of the week. And also, we'll be hearing from um, from Catherine Haddad, who was there with two horses, wasn't she, Heather? I think you caught up with Catherine while she was there, and she's agreed to come on the show. Yep, we'll be hearing from her hopefully next week. Terrific. And you can follow our show notes on uh, dressageradio.com, as always. And we always want to hear from you. So send us your feedback. Leave a voicemail at 270-803-0025. That number, again, is on the website. Or you can email either Heather or myself. Heather's email is horseradionetwork.com. Or you can reach me at chris at horseradionetwork.com. And don't forget, there is a segment on the show called It's Your Call, where we want to hear from you anything that's hot and topical on your mind. Please leave us a message at 270-803-0025 with your name. And remember that the Dressage Radio Show has a fan page on Facebook, and there's a link to that on our website. And you can always follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. And Twitter is becoming quite the thing um, and, and, of course, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll get to hear when the shows are posted, and all of our shows, too. And um, we encourage Heather to t- tweet as well, and I know you, you try and work on keeping your blog. I remind you every week about your blog, and you're also tweeting, aren't you, Heather? Well, I actually blogged last week, and now I have to write myself a note to do more tweeting. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget that you can go to Heather's website, heatherblitz.info, for that blog, and also get information on any clinics that uh, Heather has scheduled. We would like to thank our sponsors, Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com, and of course, the Dressage Radio Show is presented by Equestrian Life, our official community, and that can be found at equestrianlife.com. And you can see all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network by going to horseradionetwork.com. Uh, this week on the eventing radio show, they had the eventing legend Ginny Elliott. So that's a sh- an, uh, an interview you really don't want to miss. That was a lot of fun, Heather, I have to tell you. You know, we've, we've had a lot of these old, old legends. They won't mind me calling them that. You know, we've had Lucinda Green and uh, Mark Todd, and then we had Ginny the other day, and it was great to hear her because she now coaches the Irish event team and keeping very mm. busy as, as the Irish coach. And, you know, the Irish team are doing a lot better these days in, in eventing, and she has, um, she has engaged uh, Ferdy Alberg to help them with their dressage. Wow, well, lucky team. That sounds like a really promising combination then. It really it really is. So that was a great interview with Ginny. Don't forget, as Heather says, you can catch all of the shows on horseradionetwork.com. So, Heather, and uh, this is a holiday weekend over here, and do you have anything planned? 
Well, no, I'm, I hate to miss it. July 4th is a, is a blast of a, of a holiday, and it's too bad I'm over here, but um, I don't have any plans for this week other than sort of getting back into the grindstone and putting in some good work on the horses. Well, before we go, I know you, you didn't, don't celebrate July 4th, but I know after the last show we recorded last week, you mentioned that you were going to go off to the beaches in Denmark there and play with the witches. What was that all about? You know, I wish I knew all the details about it. All I know <laughs> is they make a bunch of bonfires and they used to burn witches. <laughs> um, so now it's turned into, of course, just the bonfire part. But it's a big party on the beach. And, um, of course, the daylight lasts so long that it's nice to be out and have, a, have an excuse to be out on the beach until midnight with the beautiful sunset that lasts so long. So I don't know the details, but um, it's, a, it's a nice time out. So we did that. You didn't actually see any witches then? No witches. No, I didn't have any sightings. I had my camera, though. I was ready. (laughs) Which uh, brings me into an opportunity to plug your photography. For those of you who know Heather, know what a great rider and trainer Heather is. She also has another skill, and that's as a photographer. If you go to her website, heatherblitz.info, you'll find a page for her photography. And Heather, you're a great photographer. And you inspire oh, my you're painting. Gen- you're kind. You're very no, kind. it's true. It's true. It's when, beginner's luck. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, uh, when the day comes that you have to hang up your boots, you know, you can always pick up the camera. You've got a second career. Oh, uh, thanks. Yes, I, well, I, I enjoy it. I, I do. It's, a nice, it's, a, it's nice to have a hobby. It's a great hobby, isn't it? And, and uh, as you know, you inspire my painting because I do a bit of painting and you, 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 you get some beautiful po- photos of the light there in, in Denmark, which is very special because it's light for so late at night. And you inspire my paintings too. I hope I do, I hope I do them justice. You do a beautiful job. <laughs> and I know those are online too for every, everyone to go see. You also have a, a gallery, right? That's right. Yeah, I do on my website, chrisestafford.com. All right, Heather. Well, thanks for that. And uh, we would look forward to meeting you next week to hear all about Arkin. So until then. And good luck and mind your riding.